Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff's Pirkei Avashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. Okay, this Mishnah is another, I mean, the truth is every Mishnah in Pekhovah is incredible, but this is another incredible Mishnah. And, and I'll tell you what, I, there's, there's two incredible things about it. One is, there, there are many, many interpretations of this Mishnah. And there's many ways to, to sort of skin the cat and, to, and, and to, to, to take out from these Mishnayos very important life, life lessons. This Mishnah in particular, to, when I think that part of this Mishnah, and you're going to see that in a few minutes, is the process of figuring out what's really here in this Mishnah is part of the message of the Mishnah. And you'll see what I mean very soon. Okay, so who are you, Omer? So the who that we're talking about is Hillel, who was the second sage that was mentioned in um, Perak Dalet. And we spoke about why Hillel was in over here in chapter 2, Perak Dalet. But Huayah Omer used to say, Ein bor that a boor, which is very similar to the English word boor, um, an empty person, which will describe more, but Ein bor cannot fear sin. Velo am ha'aretz, and an ignoramus can never become a chassid. Velo ha'bayshon, a person who is a shameful, bashful person, is not going to be able to learn. Velo ha'kapton, an angry person, is not going to be able to be melamed. He won't be able to successfully teach. Velo cholamarba b'schora machkim, and anyone who puts too much energy into schora is not going to be able to become wise. And in a place where you, there are no people, there is no, there is no man, then you have to try to be a man. Now, we understand it doesn't mean man as in male, because um, the, the, the mission is talking to everyone in this context. We also know that, I think it was Ben-Gurion that said about, um, about Golden Mayer, that she was the best man, and she was the only man in his cabinet. Um, so when we use the word man, we're using, we're using here a, a person, a person of, of stature, in a place where there are no people that are standing up and being men, so then then you have to attempt to be a man. Every single line in this mission is telling us something magnificent and amazing. But of course, the, the question is, what's the connective tissue here? And I worried when I looked at that, what is the connective tissue, that there is so much room for poetry here, and I didn't want to be poetic. I wanted to be true to Pshat, and I'll tell you, in, hopefully by the end of today, what I think that the Pshat, the simple understanding of this entire grouping together of these teachings is. Okay, <clears throat> let's start from the very beginning with our questions on the Mishnah. And you have to look at this Mishnah very, very carefully. It mentions two different types of people in the beginning of the Mishnah. It mentions a boor and an amaaretz. My first question, of course, is what's the difference between a boor and an amaaretz? They're both ignorant people. And if they're both ignorant people, then the Mishnah could have read, a boor and amaaretz can't become a yarechet and a chassid. 
In other words, it could have been all put together or only use one of the two names. Use the name Bur, use the name Amaretz. But why did we have to use both names, Bur and Amaretz, both, both types of people, when they're really one and the same, it seems? And then the two qualities for each one of them, the Bur and the Yarechet and the Amaretz and the Chassid, really technically I could have put the two of those, um, I, I could have seen the two of those together. Okay, that's one problem. My second problem is, is that what exactly is a yorechit? In our parlance, we use the term yiras shomayim. We use the term fear of heaven, a yore shomayim. A yore elokim we have in scriptures, but what is a yiras chet? What is the, a person who's afraid of sin? And what is an amoretz? Who qualifies as an ignoramus? I know anybody who knows less than us is an amoretz. But I, that's not the real designation of an Amaretz. What is the legal designation? What is the, what is the definition, even in the terms of the Mishnah? What is it using as, as Amaretz? What's the difference between a Yare Chet and a Chassid? That one of them is going to be able to achieve, cannot achieve Yiras Chet, and one of them can achieve Chassidus. What exactly are those? And I think a very major question here is, is that why did the author of this Mishnah, Hila, leave it cryptic? A boor can't become a yarechet. What does it mean? Like it's, it's so not clear what he's talking about and, and what the definitions of a boor and a yarechet are, why a boor will never achieve yarechet and will he never achieve yarechet? We have no hope in this person. He's never going to get to that place. And the Amaretz, the same with the Chassid. Like what is, what, why is it a cryptic message? Okay, and then look at the other pieces. You know, the, those that went to Jewish day school, remember when they were, and, and this goes for all of us, doesn't matter your age, but Toru Masora used to print these posters that they would put inside of, that they, every teacher would put in their classrooms. And they were pitgamim. And if you remember, one of them was a stop sign and one of them was a triangle. It was like a yield sign. And it was in every school, everywhere in America. And, and they had these, you know, the, the, these lines in them from Pirkei Avos, from Ethics of the Fathers. So, of course, the first one that would be in the classroom is Lo Habayshan Lo Maid, right? An embarrassed person is never going to learn. And teachers would always say this, don't be afraid to ask questions. And then when you would ask a question, you'd get shot down like, a, you know, like a, an enemy plane. But they would keep saying, don't be embarrassed. What, what kind of, first of all, what kind of advice is that? Don't be embarrassed to ask questions. You know, think first before you open your mouth. It's not, don't ask every question. What does it say? Often, often sing, often ling. You know, just because it comes to your head doesn't mean it's got to come into your, into your mouth. It's got to come off of your tongue. You know, be a little discerning. What does it mean, ain't a baishan lomi, that a person who's not embarrassed doesn't learn? What does embarrassment have to do with learning? Plus, what I think is a real problem is, isn't that obvious? That if you have a good question and you're afraid to ask it because you're afraid to be embarrassed by the fellow students, you're not going to learn anything. Isn't that an obvious thing? The Mishnahs in Prikiyavos are not teaching us obvious lessons. That a person who works too hard is not going to become an academic. That's pretty obvious. I don't need a Mishnah in Prikiyavos to teach me that. Where there is nobody rise to the occasion. I mean, that's great for, you know, to put in a, in a workplace that, Everybody feels a responsibility for the company. It's, like good, it's good stuff. You know, a motivating speaker would, would say these kinds of lines. They're great. But why do Chazal have to teach us these lines? 
why are these things that are in a book of ethical development, why are these necessary to be here and why wouldn't they have been understood on their own? My last question is, is that local Amarba Bishora, not everybody that gets involved in Shora, it doesn't say Avoda work, it says Shora. Shora is a specific type of work. It's retail. It's buying and selling. It's dafka that, and if I'm in, and if I'm in real estate, I can become a chacham if I'm in real estate. If I'm in finances, no problem. You're going to be a chacham. But if you're in retail, eh, retail, you're never going to become a chacham. You know, I remember growing up, the, our whole shul, everybody was in retail. Everybody was in in you know the shmata business and the, this business. They used to run a, what was called a bazaar every year, where everybody from their business would take all their seconds and they would bring it to shul. And they would make this, when I say a massive bazaar, it was like a, a swap meet, this massive thing. And, that, and they sold stuff that they couldn't sell in stores and you know, they, they, that they couldn't sell to other people. And it would be a huge moneymaker for the shul. So when I first started in the shul, so one of the ideas that I came up with is let's do like a swap meet. Everybody who's got a business will bring their wares and, and we'll sell them. So it, it didn't go anywhere because a psychologist really couldn't bring any of his stuff and a, and, a, and, a, and a guy who, who owned up was in financial financial planning and lawyers and doctors, which my shul was filled with. So there wasn't there wasn't any room for any of that stuff. The Mishnah seems to be telling us that the retail guys, nice guys, but they're not really going to make it. They're not going to become chachamim. What in the world is the message of the Mishnah that lo kolamarbe b'schora machim? Okay. So, I, I'm, again, always hopeful that I'll be able to get through all of my thoughts in one, in one sitting. But I think that the first thing that we have to define before we touch the Mishnah is we have to define Yiras Shamayim. What is fear of heaven? The Torah commands us a fear of heaven. And the place that the Torah commands us, one of the places that the Torah commands us, it tells us, that you have to fear God. And then the Torah tells us, now Israel, what does God want from you? But only just to fear the Lord your God. And the Talmud in Brachos says that the way to read that Pasuk is that that Pasuk, that verse, is what does God want from you, just but only fear of God? Is that the, what the God wants from you is a hundred blessings every day. That's what the Pasuk is teaching me. And how do I know that? Because al tikri ma elamea. Don't read the word ma Hashem shoel meimach. What does God want from you? But read that word ma with an extra aleph and read it as meyah Hashem shol meimach. God wants a hundred brachos from you. Now we know that we have an obligation to make a hundred blessings every day. We fulfill that with our davening. We fulfill that with, you know, you go to the bathroom a couple times a day, you eat a few meals, a couple snacks, you get your, your hundred brachos in there. But that's an obligation of every Jew to say meyah brachos b'chol 
And says the Gemara, where do we know it from? Whether we know it explicitly or whether we know it from what's called an asmachta, just a, a reference to it, but we know it from this Pasuk. What does God want from you but to fear him? That's a hundred blessings every day. So the obvious, obvious question is, what does the one have to do with the other? Why would the rabbi say, read the word ma, read it as mea? You know how many terms the word ma appears in the Torah? And we don't say in all the places that it appears, don't read it as ma, read it as mea. All of a sudden over here, in the context of fear of God, we read it as mea. Why here would it be teaching me about 100 brachos every day? There's many places. If you wanted to get that message of 100 brachos worked out of some other commandment, there are plenty of other places in the Torah that the word ma appears that we could have learned that message from. Why here? Because what is Yerushalayim? Yerushalayim, fear of heaven, is not fear of punishment. Fear of heaven is the awareness of God's presence. That when I'm aware of God's presence, I feel in awe of the majesty of God. I get this sense of Yerushalayim when I contemplate and I think about my connection to God. I get this sense of Yerushalayim when I see a beautiful sunset, when I'm standing in the Grand Canyon, when I'm in a place that is awe-inspiring, where I want to sing out, Ma Rabu Hashem, how awesome are your creations, O God. In every one of these places, and in every one of these situations, that's where I build my sense of Yerashamayim, my sense of the awesomeness of the presence of Hashem. You know, you can see a Jew that has Yerashamayim. In everything that he does, he's considering God. He's considering what this does, what this means to his relationship with God. When it comes to his being honest, when it's come to his being, being um, successful, when it comes to his, um, his being loyal, he's always looking at it in the context of God because he feels God's presence there. You can see it on a person when they daven. You can see a person that's davening with Yerushalayim and a person who's davening with the sense of obligation to fulfill a task that they have set for themselves for the day. When they need to check a box, davening looks one way. When they're davening in front of God, when there's Yerushalayim involved, so then it looks a completely different way. When a person adheres to rules, it appears one way. When a person has Yerushalayim, then it, it, it presents itself as yiras chet, as fear of sin. Fear of sin, according to some explanations, is another way, in negative terms, another way of saying yiras shamayim, awareness and a recognition of the presence of God. That's why when the Torah teaches me that what does God want from you? Just the only thing that God wants from you is to feel his presence. Ki im liras Hashem lekecha. Ki im is like, almost like minimizing, like saying the only thing that he wants is that you should feel close to him. That's the only thing? Thank you very much. Like he wants $5 billion. That's all he wants? Right? Ki im liras Hashem lekecha. Yes, because God wants that to be the focus of your life. Yiras Shemayim, the feeling of the presence of God, the connection to God, the feeling that everything you're doing, you're doing to connect to God, that's what God wants from you. Ki im How do you get that? 
hundred times every day, stop and say, Baruch Atah Hashem. What do those words mean? So open up an art school, art school sitter, and what do the words Baruch Atah Hashem mean? Blessed art thou, O Lord. Wow, am I inspired. <laughs> that really touched my soul. What does it mean? Blessed art thou, O Lord. So many of our commentaries say that what you're saying when you say a bracha is you're saying Baruch Atah Hashem, that God, you are the source of every bracha in my life. Elokeinu, our God, Melech HaOlam, the king of the universe, blah, 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 whatever bracha it is you're going to make. But that every single day, 100 times a day, you bend your knees, so to speak, to God. The word Baruch is the word Berach from the word knee. You're bending your knee to God. You're recognizing, God, you are the source of every Baracha. The word Baracha means increase. The word, the letters, Bey is Reish Chaf. It means to increase. Levarech means to increase things. When we say that God has blessed us, we mean that God has increased our lives. By the way, a fascinating thing, look at the words, the letters of the word Baruch, Bez, Resh, Chaf. Bez is double in the ones, it's two. Chaf is double in the tens, it's 20. And, and, Chaf, and uh, Resh is double in the hundreds, it's 200. The whole word Baruch speaks of exactly what it is in its essence. It is and it speaks of increase. And a hundred times every day, I stop and I recognize, God, you are the source of all the increase in my life, of all the blessing in my life, of all the additions in my life. You are the source of everything. That's what builds a sense of the presence of God. That's what builds a sense of yiras shamayim, a sense of fear of heaven. That's why Dafka. When the Torah tells us that what does God want from us? He wants fear of heaven. The Torah doesn't just make a demand on us, but says the Talmud, know what the Torah is telling you is, Hashem God is giving you also the methodology, the system, how to reach that sense of Yerushalayim. Open your eyes and be aware a hundred times a day of what the source of your life is, and you will have a different life you'll have a different day. You know, it's amazing in the Torah when it talks about the plagues. And one of the plagues, it tells us that the, um, after the, the plague had happened, before the next plague began, so it says that those people, Moshe told them that they have to take all their animals out of the, out of the field because the, 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 uh, the, the plague was going to come and destroy everything that was growing in the field. So it said that the Yare Elokim, those that feared God, they took everything and brought it into the house. All their animals, they put them in the, you know, put them away so that they wouldn't be harmed. And then, those people that weren't paying attention, they left their animals in the field. And the commentaries go wild. What do you mean, what's the opposite of a Yari Elokim? Somebody who doesn't, Yari Elokim, who doesn't fear God. Why are you calling Mashiach Losam Libo? Because what's the opposite of a person that doesn't fear God? A person who's not paying attention in life. A person whose eyes are closed. You know who our rabbis bring as the quintessential example of a person who was an Asher Losam Libo? They say that the Pasuk was even talking about him. It was Bilam. Bilam is riding on a donkey. And his donkey begins to talk to him. 
So the Americans amongst us will remember My Mother the Car. My Mother the Car was a great television program. And it was a car that spoke to a person or, or Wilbur, right? The, the talking horse the, 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 then that, that had a conversation with its owner. Now, that's great in Hollywood, but that doesn't happen in real life. Billum, you know, what would happen if you're driving in your car and all of a sudden your car starts to talk to you? So you would say, wow, what an incredible technological gizmo that somebody installed in my car that my car is talking to me. You're, you're going to be reluctant to answer your car back. You're going to wonder, you know, who rigged this up? Who's playing a practical joke on you? And where's the camera? Right? This is, this is candid camera perfect. Billum's donkey starts to talk to him, and he has a full-on conversation with his donkey. Really? Because Billum was a lay sum libay. He wasn't paying attention. His eyes weren't open. And that's what Yerushalayim is. Yerushalayim fear of heaven, and what separates a Yari Shemayim from every other person in the world is, are your eyes open? Are you watching what's going on around you? And if you are, so then you will feel always the presence of Hashem. You know, you listen to a Yari Shemayim interpret Corona. Listen to a Yari Shemayim talk about the events of their life. And it's a different recounting and it's a different accounting of what's going on and what's going on in the world. Because they're seeing it through the eyes of God. They're seeing it through a connection with God. And I think that that's the first step to understanding this Mishnah. What's a boor? A boor is an empty person. There's such a concept called a stay boor. A stay boor, when we talk about a field that's empty, means that a field that is not productive, that has nothing growing in it, has nothing doing in the field. A person who is a boor is exactly the same, you know, in, in, it, sometimes they call it a boer, but it's, it, it, it's good to keep it like in the English because it's the same word. When you think of a boorish person, you think of an empty, a lout, an empty person, a person with no teichen, a person with no substance, no quality, no refinement to them, an empty, superficial person, a person who walks into a room and says, sees somebody making a soup and says, Halitani, give me from the Adama Daimazak, give me from this red stuff. That's a boor. That's an empty person. That's a person who's just superficial and focusing on superficialities. Such a person will never become a Yarechet. Such a person is never going to get to the place of where he feels the presence of God because he's too empty. Can you fill a person who's empty? You can try. But it takes a lot of refinement and a lot of precision. Because if a person is so empty, a person is so focused on their material existence, a person is so empty of any kind of teichen, of any kind of substance, of any kind of reality, it's so difficult to get into that person Step number one, they're never going to be a yare chait. They're never going to be worried about their actions. They're never going to refine their actions. They're never going to be precise about their actions because they have no context in which to do that. Because they have no sense of the presence of God. 
they don't feel like they're insulting anyone or they're doing anything wrong because they have no picture of what's right and wrong. They have no picture of God, of an expectation, no picture of Judaism, no picture of Torah, no picture of that there might in fact be some kind of mission that you're here to accomplish. No sense of that whatsoever. You know, when we talk about how a Jew has to perfect themselves, before you perfect yourself, I just learned this yesterday in the Masil Shisharim. I was learning a section in the Masil Shisharim that was dealing with Nikius, cleanliness. Cleanliness is like fine-tuning the machine. It's getting rid of all the stuff that you would think that is no big deal. All the little details of commandments, of character traits, personality traits that we tend to trash over because we don't really see them as being valuable. Says the Masil Shisharim in no uncertain terms, that what's the methodology that you need to acquire Nikios, that you need to acquire cleanliness and perfection of yourself as a human being? Learning Torah. And it's not because that's the from response to everything. You have a headache? Go learn Torah. Right? My Rebbe used to say this to us. We used to say, Rebbe, you know, we're not feeling well. Learn Torah, you'll feel better. Thank you very much, Rebbe. When, who made you a doctor? It's not the answer to everything. It is the answer to everything. Because if you have no awareness of what's going on in life, you have no awareness of what the pecking order of life is, of what the priorities of life is, then there's no way to know where to put your energy. There's no way to know what to be careful of, no way to know what to be precise of, no way to know not what to, to what not to step in. You've got to have the context. You've got to have the knowledge. Therefore, says the Mesir Shasharim, step number one is learning. Ain bore a person who is unlearned, a person who is empty, no refinement, never going to become a yore chet, the fear of heaven. What's an Amaretz? An Amaretz is a person who has a certain amount of knowledge, but he can't break out of his comfort zone. He can't break beyond the stuff that is apparent and clear to him, the stuff that resonates with him, that he gets. Our rabbis tell us that he's not careful with mysis. He's not careful with tithing. Because it doesn't make any sense to him why he should take a portion of his thing off. I worked hard for this. This is, I'm killing myself to make this field. And now I got to go give it to that loafer. I got to go give it to that kayan or to that lady who's doing nothing. They're just sitting around and praying all day and learning all day. I'm going to give and share money with them. What are you out of your mind? It doesn't make sense to him. He can never become a chassid. He's got knowledge. He's got a certain understanding of context, but he can never break beyond the things that are expected of him. That's what a chassid is. A tzaddik is a person who does exactly what's required. We didn't say he can't become a tzaddik. He can perfect the things that he understands, the things that he knows, the things that he's aware of. He can perfect those, but he can't step beyond those boundaries. He can't push himself beyond, way beyond his confines. And I don't want to give away the store, but I'll tell you that that's what I see in the rest of the Mishnah. In the rest of the Mishnah I see, like the Boer and the Amaretz, are not aware. The Boer is not aware at all. The Amaretz is not aware, not fully aware. He doesn't have a full cognizance of who he is and what his task is in this world. So is the Baishon not aware of himself. 
so is the captain, the angry man, not aware of himself. So is the person involved in schora, not aware of the depths of the world. And so is the person who doesn't push themselves beyond their boundaries and their comfort zone and become a giant. I need to develop this obviously a little bit further, but that's the message of the Mishnah. Don't stay so dark. Don't stay so unaware. Don't stay so confined and locked into who you are. How do I know that that's the message of this Mishnah? It's not just me hunting for a good theme. Because what did Hillel say? Not in the Mishnah. I can do this with all the Mishnahs too of Hillel. But what was Hillel's song? He walked into the temple. And what did he sing? Imanikan hakolkan. If I'm here, everybody's here. What Hillel was saying is, be well adjusted and understand your place in this world. Hillel was talking clearly to a generation that had no idea of who it was and of its capabilities and powers and potentials. And that's who Hillel was talking to. That's what I see in this Mishnah. I will unfold that a little bit more tomorrow because there's, there's uh, amazing messages that need to be gotten out of some of the little pieces here. But that's the theme of what I see this mission is talking.